passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Good morning. Go ahead and get out your Bibles. Uh, turn to Titus chapter 3. Uh, one thing I also would encourage you to do is there should be some handouts in your bulletin, so make sure you take those handouts out, get your pen or pencil, and make sure you follow along, because I'll give you some good notes as we go through this. I want to begin by, of course, thanking God for our country. Uh, we are so fortunate, as I said in the prayer, to live in a free nation, a nation where we can gather and worship our risen Savior. But while I'm grateful for our country, I think we could all acknowledge the fact that we are living in a very divided nation. We are living in a very politically polarized time. Our founding fathers, I would say, at least envisioned a somewhat semi-Christian way of doing things. But as you and I know, a lot of that has already been swept away. And more is yet to come that people are trying to take away of our historical Christian roots. Not to say that we're perfectly following Christ as a nation or perfectly founded on Christ. Of course not. But at least we were somewhat there. But I think the battle for our nation's future, quite honestly, was seen most vividly in probably our most recent presidential election. And you guys know some of the things that happened in that News networks that were blatantly one-sided, news networks that reported things in a dishonest manner, big tech weighing in, censoring social media, deprioritizing certain social messages, a president that had his ability to tweet, removed off Twitter, leader of the free world, the most powerful man on the planet, dethroned by big tech. Parler, a social media conservative platform, vaporized instantly overnight during the political election process. There's a lot of people who are frustrated with that. I think understandably so, some of those things. People marched on a Capitol. You remember that. And then people inappropriately marched into a Capitol. That's pretty, pretty unhealthy. Not good. This morning, we're going to be talking about how Christians and how we should react to our politically polarized and divided world. I'll tell you up front, there's typically two ways Christians react. One is that some people now have become overly involved in politics, completely preoccupied with politics, thinking that politics is the way that they could stem a tide of what they would feel as liberalism and the takeover of a godless Christian society. And politics is the answer. Some people believe that as Christians. Other Christians have swung to the completely opposite end of the spectrum. What they've done is they've sort of hunkered down. They get together what we call the church bunker which is sort of an echo chamber where they get together with people just like them and they gripe and complain about all the problems in the world. They don't try to get together and do anything about it, but they're certainly good at complaining and griping about it. Neither of those answers are really that helpful to think that politics will solve the problems in our country or to think that we can just hunker down and ignore the problems in our country. I'll give you two big ideas that I hope we'll, I'll drive home as we get into the balance of our message this morning. The first one is this. 
thinking that politics can solve the problem in the nation is the wrong way to go. Folks, the problem in our nation is much deeper than a political solution. It's the problem of people's hearts. The only one who can change your heart is Jesus Christ. You understand? Jesus is the one who can change the hearts of a people in a nation, not by converting somebody to a different political party through bickering and, and fighting. Secondly, Christians who like to gather in the church to sort of mock people of other political parties, criticize people from other ends of the political spectrum, that's not helpful. That ends up dividing the church. And usually those people who most need to hear about Jesus Christ will never then go into a church that's doing that. They won't. And so they never get the message of Jesus they so desperately need to hear. Now, this morning we're going to study Titus chapter 3. Uh, and we're going to go through the first eight verses. And you wonder, why would I choose to go to Titus chapter 3 when we're going to talk about the message of politics and how we as Christians are to relate to our society when it comes to these things? Well, let me give you a little bit of background. This comes under the very top part of your outline. We know that in the island of Crete, what happened was the gospel message had been preached. Uh, Christians were there. Small churches had formed. Paul had sent Titus to the island of Crete to try and bring order to these new churches. Uh, there was about 100 small cities on the island of Crete, so mostly likely more than one church. And uh, what we find out is if you study the background of Crete, the people of the island were known for being notoriously dark, a uh, notoriously wicked culture. Not the kind of place that you want to raise your children in the island of Crete. In fact, I like the way Paul writes about this in Titus chapter 1. He says this, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So, the culture of Crete is a place that is very far from God. Sort of sounds like the direction our culture right now is heading in, the place it is most likely to go. So how does Paul instruct Titus to teach these um, Cretan Corinthians that they are to impact their culture, that they are to change their culture, that they are to reach Jesus with their culture, this dark culture they live in? Well, I'll tell you two things. He does not tell them to join a political party. And secondly, he does not tell them to hunker down inside their little churches and try to get away from anyone in the world. That is not what he tells them. We'll find out what he does tell them if we read Titus chapter 3. So let's go ahead and read this. Do you guys mind? We do this in Spirit Lake. I don't know if you do it here. Could you stand out of reverence for the Word of God as I read these first eight verses? Just follow along with your eyes and then your copy of God's Word. Paul says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray 
slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. That ends the reading of the Word of God. You can be seated. These verses, they break apart nicely into actually four points. The first two verses... Uh, talk about these Cretan Christians' duty to their culture. Uh, They are to essentially focus on trying to be upstanding citizens in their community, even though their community is far from God. Verse 3 talks about these Cretan Corinthians have to have a heart of compassion for the lost, not a heart of hatred for the lost. Essentially saying, remember, you used to be just like them before you met Jesus. Then verses uh, 4 through 7 say, by the way, the difference in your life, it came from Jesus. That is the one who changes society and the one who changes the world. And then, of course, the last part, verse 8, he says, so you better devote yourself to good works, trying to build bridges to the lost lost world, not to build walls of resistance against the lost world. Building bridges, not walls. So let's go ahead and dive in. And by the way, I'm going to spend the most of our time just on the first two verses. As I was studying for this, I thought this would be a great series, but they only give me one week in the message. So uh, I'll be a little heavy on the front first two verses, but I think you'll really enjoy what we study here. Christians, he said, should live as model citizens. Get that out of the first two verses. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. The first thing we see on the top here is these Cretan Corinthians were to be subject to our leaders. And now remember, Crete is a very godless society, yet... They are to relate to their leaders in a positive way. The Cretan government, incidentally, was notoriously corrupt because political corruption is not just a thing for our day. It goes all the way back to sin itself. And so they are very corrupt leaders, corrupt people, and who typically took bribes and perverted justice. Sort of sounds like modern-day America. But... How were these Cretan Corinthians to relate to their corrupt leaders? Were they to undermine them, speak evil about them? Nope. They were to be subject to them, even if they were corrupt. Now, folks, it doesn't matter if your leader is Caesar, if it is Herod, if it is Stalin, if it is Hitler, if it is Trump, or if it is Biden— Christians are supposed to be subject 
to their leaders. We're to try to do what they ask us to do. Now, some of you may instantly think, well, this doesn't apply. doesn't apply to me because our leaders in our government are just too corrupt. So I get to ignore my leaders. I get to make fun of my leaders. No, that's not true. Remember, Crete's government and Crete's people were notoriously corrupt. Yet, Christians were to mark themselves out as different in that society by not intentionally disobeying the government leaders, but by intentionally trying to be submissive and follow the government leaders. Paul speaks about the exact same thing in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 13, he says, Roman Christians in Rome were to be subject to their leader. By the way, do you know who was the leader in Rome at the time Paul wrote this? A really corrupt guy named Nero. I mean, more people died around him than died around the Clintons. Really, think about this. Nero killed his wife. He killed his children. The saying in that day was, it was safer to be Nero's cat than it was to be part of his family. Because he bumped off so many people. Yet, what does Paul say to the Christians in Rome? Even if you have a corrupt leader, you are to still continue to be subject to them. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, it doesn't necessarily matter if your government is a communist government or a democratic government. If your government is well-run or poorly run, Christians are to mark themselves out by submitting to those who are in authority over their lives. Now, what Paul does, and I'm going to continue a little bit more in Romans chapter 13, is in the following verses, after this very initial opening of Romans 13, he gives reasons why Christians are to submit to their government, even if it's not well run. Look at this. He says, number one, there is no authority except what God establishes. 13.1, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Government in our society is created by God. God has created human government. It doesn't mean that human government, by the way, is, is perfect, folks. In fact, many times those in government are not perfect. I'll admit that. Many times those in government abuse their power. But our government has still been put there by God, hasn't it? says this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He changes times and seasons, and he removes kings, and he sets up kings. As Christians, we must respect our government, submit to our government, even if we don't like our government. By the way, submitting to those in authority over us is a big thing in the Bible. In fact, think of it this way. Do you ever heard of this verse that says, children, obey your parents? Now, by the way, are parents perfect? Do parents sometimes end up doing things wrong? I'll admit, one time I got so frustrated with my boys. I have two boys that are two years apart. They were making all kinds of noises. I went in, I ended up spanking the wrong child. But it still it doesn't mean my kids get to disrespect me. My children are supposed to submit to me, Right? even if we're not perfect parents. 
Wives, submit to the leadership of your husbands. Now, by the way, husbands, I think we'll all be quick to say, are we perfect leaders? No. We're very imperfect leaders. But when we fail at times in leadership, that doesn't give wives an excuse to therefore disrespect and disregard their husband's position of authority in their home. It doesn't work that way. In the same way, we have an imperfect government, folks. We have a government that's got a lot of flaws in it. I know that. You know that. But we're still supposed to submit to our government respect our government, and this is what marks us out as Christians as different from the rest of our society. When it's very important to understand. Paul continues in Romans 13, we go to verse 2. By the way, if you resisting our government is choosing to resist God. He says that very directly. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So resisting government is resisting the authority figure that God in his sovereignty and his will has appointed in your life. Resisting government promises that God will bring judgment for that. Now, can we disagree with our government? Oh, most definitely. Yes, I have plenty of things I disagree with. But are we to reactively resist them and to actively undermine them? No. That's not what Christians do. I think about, in our nation, about people who are trying to undermine the police, defund the police, get rid of the police, disrespect the police. In some places, it's actually cool if you can actually shoot and kill the police. They do that. They say, well, because the police are bad. Well, are there some police officers that are corrupt? I guarantee you there are. But if you choose to disrespect them and undermine them, you're not just fighting the government, you're fighting God. And he promises he will bring you into judgment for that. So, Paul continues. Another role of government, by the way, government is given by God to restrain evil. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, Paul says, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? then do what is good and you will receive his approval. Government. Even when it's not running at its best, and many of us know our government certainly isn't, is doing a job. And that job is to restrain evil in our society. Folks, if you take government away, this world will be a place of anarchy and terror where sin could reign completely unchecked. Think what would happen if you got rid of the, the laws for the roads. People could drive as fast as they want without consequence. People could go through lights, red, yellow, green, doesn't really matter. <laughs> no one's going to stop you. How well is that going to do for your children going to, going to school? Think what happens if the police go away and there's nobody there to defend your house at night. It would be complete anarchy. One of the government's primary jobs is to keep evil in check. And even a poor government does a decent job of that many times. A good, good government would do it even better. We'd be thankful for that. So here we are on July 4th. It's uh, celebrating the time of our nation's birthday. And in many ways, some people are frustrated with our nation. But we certainly should be thankful for our nation. 
We should be thankful even for the government in our nation because it's doing a job of restraining evil. It's doing a job of allowing us to gather in freedom to worship. It's doing a job of giving us safe homes and good families. Not everything we want, but it certainly is making progress. Paul continues here. He says, by the way, generally, all you need to do to not have a problem with authority is simply about be about the business of doing good, not doing evil. Generally, that'll solve most of your problems with the government. Like when you're driving down the road and you pass a cop, you know that thing when your heart goes like into your throat? Why does your heart go in your throat? Because you are driving 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. And if you weren't driving 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, you wouldn't be fearful of the one in authority over you, right? So he says, if you don't want to have problems with the government, just do what is good. In fact, we did this in Spirit Lake one Christmas we decided that we actually wanted to encourage our police officers who are going through such a difficult time with everything else that goes on in the world right now with the police. So we gave them gift cards from the church. Said, we appreciate you. Thank you for risking your life. Thank you for being there at night. Thank you for doing out of your way to protect our community and society. We want to bless you. We don't want to irritate you. You do those kind of things. You generally do not have problems with the government. So not only does the government there to keep evil in check, but by the way, Paul continues to say the government is given the very authority to take life. He says, for he is God's servant for your good. That's what the government is generally there for. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, some Christians are completely opposed to capital punishment. I'll tell you right up front, I'm not opposed to capital punishment. We see capital punishment being carried out in the Old Testament. We also see here that the government is given the authority to carry out capital punishment here in the New Testament. And that is used for a purpose. It's to help keep evil in check, to bring safe safety and health to society. By the way, and this is not just talking about jail time. Swords don't work really well for keeping people in jail. Swords have one purpose, and that's not a back scratcher. Swords are there to take life. Now, by the way, is capital punishment sometimes wrongly applied? Most definitely. Are there innocent people who sometimes die via capital punishment? Of course. We know that government is imperfect. All governments are imperfect. And governments have corruption in them. I guarantee you that. We know that. But that still does not take away the government's right to use the sword. The government is given the authority to take life, if necessary, in the protecting of our society from evil. Then he says this. Christians are to pay their taxes. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. He says, pay your taxes. Support your governments. Now, by the way, we've heard people will say, well, I don't want to pay my taxes because you know what they're doing with my tax money? They're using it to go fund an unjust war. You know what they're doing with my tax money? 
They're using it to support abortions in a foreign land. I agree with you. The government may be doing those things. But we can't control that. But the government is still keeping evil in check. The government is still bringing order to society. The government is still giving you a safe place to raise your children at home. And as Christians, we want to be known for being subject to the authorities. Marks us out as different. Not mocking and undermining the authorities. Helps us stand out and produces good care, good, a good reputation for Christ in the world. Well, that was a lot just for the first point. Let's get back to Titus. But I, since we're talking about government, I couldn't miss Romans 13. <laughs> so let's go back to Titus here. What else does Paul say to Titus about how we're to relate to authority? We are to be obedient to authority. Christians are to be known as people who try to accomplish what the government asks them to do, even if we do not agree with everything the government asks us to do. We're not to be known as resistors of authority. We're not to be known as rebellious of authority. We're to be known as people who obey our leaders. Now, by the way, this past year, that was sort of hard to do, wasn't it? Remember when uh, they came out and asked us to wear masks? And well, I don't like masks. Masks don't feel good. And I don't want to wear masks. And, you know, I know I had people that I know would go to Walmart. And Walmart has this thing on it says, when you come in, please wear masks. And some of these Christians were like, I'm not wearing masks. I'm free in Christ. You know, no mask, walk around Walmart. And I'm going like, that is not really helping the cause of Christ. What that do is it's labeling you as a rebel. It's labeling you as somebody who's disobedient to your government. And besides, Walmart is not public property. It is private property. The owners of Walmart have a right to ask you to wear a mask. And if they've asked you to wear a mask to use their store, we should be known as Christians who respect what the leaders ask for that. Now, I don't like masks. But I also want to be known as somebody who is supporting those in authority and not trying to be rebellious, but known as, I want to be known as somebody who is obedient, all for the sake of the name of Christ in the community. Now, this begs another question. I know you've been waiting for this one. So you've been hammering on this deal where we have to obey our government, but when do we disobey our government? Isn't there a time we get to do that? Yes, there are. I'll give you two instances when we can disobey the government, and I'll talk about what we must do when we disobey the government. Here they are. Number one, when the government asks us to do something God forbids us to do, it's okay to disobey the government. An example would be maybe Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Remember Rakshak, Benny, the VeggieTales? You have the big idol that Nebuchadnezzar builds, and you're going to bow down to that idol, and they're like, wait, this violates one of the Ten Commandments. I shouldn't worship another god. Can't do it. Sorry, Nebuchadnezzar. Well, we're not going to do it, but that you throw us in the fiery furnace, that's okay. In other words, if we have to disobey the government to honor God, we should be willing to take whatever punishment is handed out may not be right punishment, but we should be willing to take it, shouldn't we? I didn't say it was right or deserved, but expect it. Now, thankfully, in Rakshak and Benny, God saved him. But it doesn't always mean that God will save Christians when they disobey the government. Here's another one. 
when the government asks us to not do something God commands us to do, it's appropriate to disobey the government. What would that look like? We know that God has commanded his people to gather for worship. We are to gather for worship. We're to gather to use our gifts. Uh, we, this happened a little bit in America, but it was much more pointed in Canada. As you got further and further and further into COVID, it was like, hey, Walmart's open, Target's open, but we're not letting you go to church. And eventually, some Christians were like, no, we are commanded by God to gather and go to church and to worship. And they gathered and went to church, and some pastors were arrested. Some pastors have been sent to jail for going to church. Well, okay, disobey the government, but then expect to take the consequences. Even though they're not right consequences, expect to take it. That's just part of the way you serve Christ. Well, we move from how we are to interact with our government, which is to be to submit to them, we're to obey them as much as we possibly can, realizing there's times when we may have to be disobedient, but we'll take our punishment if that's what comes. Now it comes to how Paul, ta- Paul talks to Titus about how we interact with our community. He says this, as Christians, we are to be eager for good works or ready for every good work. The idea here is as Christians, we are to be about aggressive goodness to others. Christians in society are not just known for obeying their government, but they are to be known about good works and acts of kindness to our community, not just people who are like us, but to people who are very unlike us, to people who hold the opposite side of the political spectrum. People that we would normally consider our enemies are the ones that we are going out of our way to show goodness to. Folks, no matter how hostile the culture gets against the church, as Christians, our role in our community is to aggressively seek to bless people around us. Even if they're an enemy of us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's Bible verse right there. We do this because it breaks down the barriers of hostility between a lost world and ourselves. Galatians chapter 6. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of God. The next one, we're to speak evil of no one. So Paul has gone from how the uh, Cretan Christians are to interact with their corrupt government, how they interact with their, their society, do good. Now he's like, how do you talk? How are Christians different in the things they speak? This gets personal, folks. To speak evil of no one. Around Christians... The talk should never begin to disintegrate as to the point where we're starting to speak bad about others, to undermine others. Whether that's people of a different political persuasion, whether that's our boss at work, whether that's that strange Uncle Frank member in our family, we refuse to speak evil of other people. Notably different as Christians in the world. Now, what do we do when we have a disagreement with somebody? Here's what we do. We go to them. We talk to them privately. We talk to them personally. 
We are courageous people who want them to repent and be restored. We're not cowardly people who talk to everybody else behind their back. That's not who we are as Christians. We refuse to let our words be those who tear people down. We don't speak evil of our government leaders. Then you say, well, what am I supposed to do? When I read the news and I see bad decision after bad decision, it's so easy to speak evil of them. Here's what I'll tell you you do. Every time you see a poor decision by our government leaders, don't speak evil of them. Pray for them. That's what we're commanded to do, isn't it? First Timothy chapter 2. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we pray for our government leaders, that they would make wise decisions, good decisions, and most of all, we pray that God would bring them under the hearing of the gospel, that they would be born again. Because what will change this world is not by getting people to switch a political party. What will change this world is Jesus. He's the only one who can change a heart. He's the only one who can change a life when someone is born again. So we pray for our leaders that they will be born again. He continues with this, once again, talking about our speech, how we're distinctively different. We're to avoid quarreling. This world is filled with people who love to argue, who love to spit at each other. <laughs> Go to social media. Look at the comment sections back and forth, tearing one another down, saying the most violent, hateful hurtful things. We as Christians are to be distinctively different in this world. We're not about quarreling. You want quarreling? Go watch The View, right? You can find that on daytime talk shows. We are to be people who are about peace, who are about loving, who are friendly. We are not to be combative people. We're not to be bickering people. It makes us stand out in the world. Submissive to authorities, out there doing good for other people, refusing to quarrel, refusing to speak evil of others. Trust me, you really stand out in society when you're that way. And it speaks a lot for Jesus. He continues, we're to be gentle. We're not to be people who raise our voice. We're not to be speak people who speak abusively about others or abusively to others. We're not to be known as those who are harsh with people, but to be gentle with people. Galatians chapter 5, fruit of the Spirit. One of those fruit is gentleness. The closer we walk with Jesus Christ, the gentler we will become with other people. We have a gentle and loving Savior. The more we become like him, the more we will act like him. Then the last one he says is this. We're to show perfect courtesy to all people. Now, what does this mean? The word courtesy here is a little difficult to translate from the Greek. I don't think courtesy in the English really captures the full meaning of what's being said here. 
It means to show gentleness and kindness from a position of power, not from a position of weakness. It means to show gentleness and kindness from a position of power, not a position of weakness. Essentially, don't be a bully. Don't use your authority. Don't use your knowledge. Don't use your power to be hurtful or nasty or difficult with people, but to be gentle with them and loving with them. So, to begin, when it comes to how can we make a difference in our society as it's getting farther and farther from God, the first thing we must remember is we cannot erect walls. We have to build bridges. And to build those bridges, it begins with our character and how we conduct ourselves. We're to speak well of our government. We're not to tear them down. We're to be obedient as much as we can to our government. We're to speak evil of no one. We're to be out there doing good works and kindness, not just to our Christian brothers and sisters, but to people who are unlike us. We're to be gentle and not quarreling, all giving Jesus and his people a good reputation in the community. That's how it begins. The the next three points I'll go through rather quickly in the interest of trying to conserve some time here, but let's go ahead and look at this. The next thing we must know is this. Christians must remember, remember how we thought and lived before we met Jesus. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He says, Folks, remember how you used to live. Remember how you used to think before you met Jesus. You were just like those godless people in this world. But it was not politics that changed you. It was Jesus who changed you. Jesus is the one who gave you a new heart. Jesus is the one who gave you a new life. And so when you look at those people and you have anger and hatred in your heart towards them, don't feel that way. Have compassion because you should be just like them if Jesus hadn't changed you. Sometimes Cindy and I, if I get done studying early on Saturday, we'll go for a drive around Arnold's Park. And you know in Arnold's Park, you have that the strip there, you have the strip club. And sometimes as we drive by the strip club, we see the line of the guys out there. And I'm, I'm driving by, I'm going, and looking at the age of those guys, I'm like, those guys are my age. Those guys are fathers. Some of those guys are going in there to be at least mentally unfaithful to their wives. And all of a sudden, I'm like, ugh. And then I pause and say, but if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, that would be me. It would be you. It was Jesus who saved us. It was Jesus who changed us. He's the one who gave us a new heart. And they'll never change until they meet Jesus. And the only way they can meet Jesus is if we build a relationship with them. Building bridges, not building walls. No. He goes on here and he gives a number of descriptions of this. I'm going to skip over those in the interest of time. I'll just go to the third point. 
He says, Christians must remember it was God who saved us and changed us, and he did it through Jesus. And I throw this in at the end, not through politics, by the way. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he what? by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, folks, there's a whole sermon series in those verses alone. I'm not going to give you that, but let me just focus on this. It was God who saved us. We are not smarter than other people. We are not better than other people. It was God who chose to love us when we were foolish, when we were filled with hatred, when we were living by our passions. God broke into our lives and saved us. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would have been part of the pro-abortion crowd. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would be out there protesting, insisting that the homosexual lifestyle is the right thing to do. If it wasn't for Jesus, we'd be all out there LGBTQ plus and whatever other letters you want to throw on that. Jesus is the one who saved us. Folks, he took the initiative. He didn't build a wall. He built a bridge to us. And he did it all through his son, Jesus Christ. Folks, before we hate on society around us, remember we would be no different from the society around us if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. But he sought us. Folks, he calls us to do the exact same thing with the lost people in our community around us. I'll say it again, not to build a wall, but to love them, to build a bridge, to do acts of kindness to them, to refuse to speak evil towards them, to be gentle and kind toward them, to show perfect courtesy towards them so we can clearly and abundantly share the gospel with them. Because, folks, that's the only thing that can change their heart and lives. Last thing. Christians must remember to devote themselves to good works in order to create goodwill to open the door for people to hear the good news. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Folks, our job is to be people who are committed to good works opening the door for Jesus Christ in our community. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And I want to just say, Father, that I know all of us are guilty of not living a virtuous life according to Christ. All of us have spent time griping, complaining about politics and people, bickering. All of us have spent time not doing good works for others, but griping about others. Forgive us for that. May we be men and women who are notably different in this world by our attitude and the way we conduct ourselves. 
So he opened the door for people to hear the good news and to be born again and to be saved. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.